Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez. It's September 14, 2018, and welcome to the Federalist Pages number 48, where today we'll be talking about Michael Avenatti. Yes, he is that infamous attorney for Stormy Daniels and his case for indicting the president that appeared in the New York Times this week, actually just yesterday. We'll be talking about Obama's speech that was, uh, boy, did you hear, did you hear that speech? That was um, something to behold. The hypocrisy in that speech was something to behold. Anyway, on the follow pod, we'll be talking about the Cuban embassy and the microwave radiation, a little development on that that took place this week. We'll be talking some more about Nike and their um, recent desire to engage in political advocacy. And yes, aren't you happy that Andrew Cuomo defeated Cynthia Nixon. And then we'll fi- we'll finish up with some observations. But first, let us make sure that I um, refer you to thefederalistpages.com. Please come visit thefederalistpages.com. There's our podcast is there, of course. And there are so many other writings that have been taking place as we move forward in trying to explain some of the insanity that has been taking place in our country. On Twitter, you can follow me on the Federalist Pages. That's my handle, at the Federalist Pages. Make make sure you subscribe to the Federalist Pages on iTunes and SoundCloud so you can get the latest uh, indications that we released another podcast and uh, get the opportunity to listen to that there. And follow me on the Federalist Pages on Facebook. So there's all sorts of ways to keep tabs of how we're making progress and the progress that we're making. So let's talk about Michael Avenatti. Uh, as many of you know, may, knew, may know, Michael Avenatti is the lawyer for Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels being the prostitute that it appears President Trump engaged with uh, prior to becoming president of the United States and then gave her or arranged for money to be given to her for hush up and uh, true to form from a prostitute. She did not. And she opened her mouth, and now we are in for the ride. Anyway, she's got a an attorney whose name is Michael Avenatti, who is a complete piece of work. The man, uh, I, I saw him for the first time on Tucker, Carl, Tucker Carlson last night, and uh, Tucker Carlson displayed everything that I don't like in an interview by Tucker Carlson. He, uh, he was very confrontational, interrupts people, just gets into arguments with them, and that is not what an interview is supposed to be about. Unfortunately, one of the problems that I believe is taking place in our national discussion is that our shows are becoming more about the sensationalist con- confrontation than it is about any semblance of trying to get at the truth and trying to make progress at deciphering the issues of the day. But anyway... In true-to-form fashion, Tucker Carlson got into this confrontation, this heated screaming match between him and Avenatti. And what I found out about Avenatti himself is that he is not a nice guy. He is, uh, he's got minimal, many uh, multiple personality, um, he has multiple personality problems, not that he's got a multiple personality disorder. Uh, he's got one personality and it starts with the letter A and, uh, I learned about it yesterday for the first time when I saw him for the first time. But the reason why I was interested in, in even seeing who this guy was is because I saw his editorial on the New York times where he essentially makes the, uh, the argument that the president of the United States should be indicted. 
And as many of you may know from watching the news and listening to some of the things that are going around, many of you may know that, that there's a big controversy going on right now about whether the president should be indicted and whether the president of the United States can be indicted. So I'm going to give you my two cents on that and um, hopefully convince you that the president cannot be indicted. There are two schools of thought, legal thought here. One is that the president can and ought to be in, indicted. It's funny how those two um, camps kind of go together. And the other one is that, look, whether you can invite, indict him, whether you think that you have reason to indict him or not, uh, he cannot under the Constitution of the United States. I fall on that second camp. Now, having seen the title of the article and having seen who it's from, I immediately ran to it and went to see it because I thought, wow, this is great. I'm finally going to get the opportunity to see a good argument as to from a lawyer who's representing, you know, Stormy Daniels and who has a stake in making a good argument as to why his client should be able to proceed not only with her litigation, but more importantly to him uh, in this article that he should be able to be prosecuted. The president should be able to prosecute it. And there's two problems with the article. It was horrible. It was a horrible article, just another uh, work of fiction by the New York Times or the work of fiction by an opinion writer that was allowed to enter the pages of the New York Times. There's two, two problems. First, he's got no basis in fact, and second, he's got no basis in law. I was very curious to see what this basis of fact would be. So I immediately looked for that. And here's the only sentence that he provides us. The only sentence he provides us about there being a basis in fact. Ready? You better take notes quickly because it's going to come by fast. Quote, there are many indications that there is sufficient evidence to support an indictment of President Trump. He actually said there are many indications to... Um, uh, there are many indications that there is uh, evidence to to indict the president. So let me try that again. I in injected that part, and uh, I just want to clarify that. So here we go. There are many indications that there is sufficient evidence to support an indictment of President Trump. The special counsel, Robert Mueller, who is investigating possible Russian interference in the 2016 election and prosecutors from the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, who are investigating payments on my client Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, should present their evidence to the grand jury. That's it. That was it. That is all the basis. In fact, there is no uh, list of of what this evidence may be. And so we're still stuck with problem number one uh, on any attempt to indict the president of the United States. We still have no evidence of collusion. Yeah, Robert Mueller is still considering or investigating possible Russian interference. There's no evidence of collusion. By the way, there is no word collusion in the legal statutes, but there's no evidence of collusion. Over a year of investigations, millions of dollars spent, still no evidence of collusion. Second, uh, what was the second? Oh, yeah, there's no indication that he broke the law, that President Trump broke the law in, in giving, in paying off Stormy Daniels. It was not a campaign violation. It's going to be very difficult to prove intent, as we have spoken about before. And this should be it. That should be done. We should be done with the conversation, except that he's allowed to continue. 
And his basis, he got, he continues on to his basis in law. And his basis in law is uh, Clinton v. Jones. And let's talk a little bit about Clinton v. Jones. Clinton v. Jones is a is a case that arose from President Clinton, Bill Clinton, um, having sexually harassed Paula Jones. If you recall, uh, Paula John Jones sued the President of the United States, and the President's staff, lawyers, argued that the President of the United States cannot be sued because he's the President of the United States. He's too busy. And the arguments that they made were literally that. He's too busy. He can't be concentrating on a proper defense. And also, he cannot uh, be dis di diverted from, the, from concentrating on issues of uh, running the country. And those are interesting arguments, except that they're inapplicable. And first, let's just go back to the conclusion. The, the court concluded that, look, it's a great argument. Thank you very much for bringing it. No man is above the law, including the United, the United States president, the president of the United States. And so despite your uh, arguments about how the, busy the president is and how important his um, role as president may be, he still has to prepare for this trial and go through trial if if it comes to that point. Here's the problem with Clinton v. Jones. It's not a criminal case. It was not a criminal case. The criminal case, the, the case was a civil case. It was a lawsuit between private parties. For criminal issues, for criminal issues, the Constitution expressly creates a process, and that process is called impeachment. And in that process, if you read it carefully, in that process, the grand jury is essentially the House of Representatives, because it's the House of Representatives that decides whether to try the president for bribery, treason, high crime, crimes, or just misdemeanors. If the if the uh, um, House of Representatives, by a majority vote, decides to try the president for impeachment, he goes to the Senate, and he appears before the Senate, where the Supreme Court, the, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, would sit as the presiding officer, and a two-thirds vote in the Senate would be required to convict the president. And if they convict the president of impeachment, they can't put him in jail because it's not a court of law like you would uh, see in a regular criminal proceeding. It is a court of politics. So once the president gets removed from office, then and only then can the president be subject to uh, a state attorney or, or a federal attorney that would then prosecute him for the crimes that were uh, alleged. And then he would have his trial. So that's the way it's supposed to work. The, the, the Constitution is pretty clear on placing a separate avenue for the President of the United States to undergo trial. That is not what um, happened in Clinton v. Jones and Mr. Avenatti and the New York Times can continue to uh, brew about it for as long as they want. But in point of fact, the framers had a different had a different plan. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez, and you're listening to the Federalist Pages. Welcome back to the Federalist Pages, and we are going to talk about in this second segment Obama's speech. Did you hear Obama's speech? It was done in. Uh, Champaign, Illinois, before the students of uh, the University of Illinois, and it was an absolutely abhorrent display from a former president of the United States. And I'm going to tell you all about it, except 
that I want to encourage you to sponsor, help us uh, get our project through, sponsor our program. Uh, please feel free to engage in our sponsorship opportunities. You can do this for this program by itself and for this webpage by itself by sponsoring the Federalist Pages. And please email me at the Federalist Pages at gmail.com, the Federalist Pages at, e- at gmail.com. If you are interested in, sp- in any of our uh, various sponsorship packages. Also, you can do a combined sponsorship sponsorship ca- uh, package with uh, Rod Thompson and me as we uh, go through Right Talk America, our radio show, which I encourage you to listen on WLLS WLSS 930, the answer, or FM 93.7 or 103.1 on Saturdays between 9 o'clock in the morning and 10 o'clock in the morning. And if you miss it, or if you don't live in the Sarasota area, you can still catch it on our podcast. Just go to the uh, righttalkamerica.com. Okay, so Obama's speech. Obama's speech. Obama gets this award on ethics, which, by the way, I haven't really, I haven't really centered on, but it's absolutely ironic that President Obama will get an award on ethics. And he shoulders or buttresses his speech on this call for bipartisanship and being a positive influence on these kids, young adults, so that they may engage in politics because if they don't engage in politics, our country will be ruined, which is actually a point with which I agree. Uh, It's incredibly important for people from of all ages and and that they begin from the beginning from the beginning of their adulthoods and maybe even slightly before in engaging in political speech political advocacy and please by all means vote which was his his message ostensibly until you get to the meat of the matter and uh you know when you, when the president of the united states when a former president of the united states uh speaks and by the way traditionally former presidents of the united states have just gotten out of the way of political discourse in America, and they've respected the the incoming presidents and the new presidents. Um, president Obama has made it clear that he is not going to respect anything about President Trump's administration. As a matter of fact, nobody in any mainstream uh, capacity is respecting President Trump's uh, path through the president of the United States, but presidency of the United States. But be that as it may, specifically and more egregiously for a former president, President Obama, to get involved to this level. But nevertheless, at least he starts by uh, claiming that this is going to be an inspirational speech and speech and acceptance of this award on ethics, (laughs) which I I guess is ironic in and of itself. And he opens after, you know, getting through the pleasantries, engaging the, the, the students and making some, you know, superficial jokes which are kind of kind of funny kind of cute he comes in and says you have come of age i'm quoting you have come of age at a time of growing inequality of fracturing of economic opportunity of growing inequality of fracturing of economic opportunity okay he says this when the economy is roaring when the when the um Unemployment rate has reached a multi-decade low, and when the economy is churning at a level that uh, he predicted would never be possible again. We should all forget about it because uh, a growth rate of greater, I think, than 3% is what he said, or maybe I think he said greater 4% is, uh, is, is you need a, President Trump, he said, would need a magic wand to be able to make this happen. 
And guess what? No, he didn't need a magic wand. He needed tax cuts and decreased in regu regulations. And guess what? Off we go to a to a growth rate, consistent growth rate, and multiple quarters of greater than 4%. So he uh, comes out with this statement, and you know that this is going to go south. And he says, over the past few decades, and then he gets really specific about who he's talking about. He goes in and attacks the Republican Party. Over the past few decades, the politics of division and resentment and paranoia has unfortunately found a home in the Republican Party. Another quote. So he comes in and he slams the Republican Party. He says, as a matter of fact, speaking about the Congress, he says, this Congress has handed out tax cuts without regard to deficits, slashed the safety nets wherever it could, embraced wild conspiracy theories like those surrounding Benghazi or my birth certificate, laugh, 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 Rejected science, rejected facts on things like climate change, embraced a rising absolutism from a willingness to default on America's debt by not paying our bills to a refusal to even meet, much less consider a qualified nominee for the Supreme Court because he happened to be nominated by a Democrat president. This is how President Obama per perceives reality. This is how he, he views the world. He views the world in a series of hostilities with no redeeming qualities. In other words, for him, there is no possibility of there being a valid po point on the other side. Perhaps, Mr. President, the tax cuts were done in the hopes of spurring on a stagnant economy. Perhaps the spending cuts were not achievable because the Democrats refused to yield on spending. Maybe the Republicans were planning on coming back to do it on another year. I think that's what I heard them say. Perhaps there's a validated concern that there was more to Benghazi than you let on because you kept bringing Clinton and Susan Rice out to lie to us, the American people, and told us that it was all about a movie. Multiple, multiple times, not just once. Perhaps the theory that you were born in Kenya was allowed to fester because you didn't reveal your birth certificate. Perhaps the science behind climate change uh, and the corruption of the scientists has been so bad that that people are no longer believing what these what these so-called experts experts are saying. Oh, and as far as I know, the president has not defaulted. The America has not defaulted on its debt, and perhaps the Supreme Court nominee, of which you speak, Mr. President, former president, is was not confirmed because the Senate made an incredible bet that maybe they would get. Uh, another better nominee, and they certainly did, and that that nominee was Gorsuch. But the bet was a bet, and there was great risk involved, and for a while it looked like they may have bet wrong and would have gotten a Hillary Clinton nominee. So for you to come out and say that it was merely because he was a Democrat president without looking at the rest of the facts, um, there was a Democrat president that nominated him without looking at the rest of the facts is incredibly uh, deceitful and dishonest. So the bottom line is this. The president, President Obama, engaged in a terrible display of partisanship as a former president of the United States. I, I have a lesser concern about a president being involved in post-president politics. Lesser concern about that than a president being a divisive force if he does come out and become engaged in post-president politics presidency politics
And unfortunately for us, unfortunately for the United States, and unfortunately for those kids who were subjected to this speech at the University of Illinois, President Obama did just that. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez. You're listening to the Federalist Pages. We will be right back. Yes, and we're now back to the Federalist Pages on the follow-up pile, on the follow-up pile. And um, there's some interesting stories that I want to talk to you about. But once again, I want to encourage you to consider sponsorship opportunities for our radio program. It costs money and uh, sweat and treasure to deliver our message and to deliver our research to you all. So uh, please consider sponsoring us by emailing me. Start by emailing me at thefederalistpages at gmail.com and uh, also take some time to listen to Right Talk America and perhaps sponsor us there as well. 9 a.m. in the morning if you're in the Sarasota market or on 9.30 a.m. the answer, FM 93.7 and 103.1 or if you desire to catch us later or outside of the um, Sarasota market, come get us at uh, the righttalkamerica.com. So follow pile. So look, there's been some uh, interesting developments on some of the stories we've covered before. One is the Cuban embassy. The Cuban embassy story with a microwave. Remember the, um, the American citizens and the American members of working at the dignitaries working at the American embassy in uh, Cuba were exposed to some mysterious uh, stimulation that caused injury, caused them headaches. One guy, I think, had an intracranial bleed. There were some changes in hearing. There was some hearing loss. And the United States government was theorizing that this was mostly due to microwave radiation. Well, now the technology of the microwave radiation that was used apparently has been linked to Russia. They cannot prove it. The United States cannot prove it. Authorities cannot prove it uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't think that they ever can. But nevertheless, it really looks like Russia is behind this. And if Russia is behind this, then needless to say, an attack on an American embassy and and a concerted effort to injure American citizens is an act of war. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're going to go to war based on this. There have been numerous attacks on American embassies and American personnel that have not led to war in the past. But I remember the Maine, yeah, oddly enough, in Havana, right, where the Maine was blown up, and it was blown up not by, it turns out, historical records uh, ended up proving that it was not blown up by Cuban uh, officials or by members of the uh, Spanish military, it, it struck a mine and it blew up that way. But nevertheless, it struck a mine in the, uh, in the Havana's harbor while not moving. It was docked. It wasn't docked. It was anchored. But nevertheless, it, it led to, um, to the Hispanic-American War, Spanish-American War. So, you know, this is... Um, this, this, this is a very, 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 very serious, serious problem, problem of infinite proportions. And um, it speaks to loudly to the fact that Russia is not our friend. So we'll have to keep an eye on that one. I'm curious to see what comes of this story as we move forward. The other uh, follow-up that I have for you involves Nike. 
Nike, we, we already slammed Nike for, for having, um, having used uh, Colin Kaepernick as its face. And uh, I didn't need to uh, slam Nike because the, um, the stockholders and the public slammed him themselves. We saw the poll numbers where uh, Nike's approval rating precipitously dropped. And uh, things are, are, I'm sure, going to be a little bit of more of a challenge for Nike. It's going to take more misbe- misbehaviors than that for Nike to be threatened. But nevertheless, uh, they're well on their way. And now Mark Parker has decided to deliver the second of the one-two punch, where he is now... Uh, advocating and actually in all fairness has previously advocated but is doing it again he is now advocating for um, against the repeal of Oregon's sanctuary law which would of course end Oregon as being a sanctuary state and I'm going to have to look this up a little bit more and get a little bit more research as to the specifics of the sanctuary law but for the purposes of our podcast today just be aware that he said that ending Oregon sanctuary law will damage Oregon's long-standing track record as a place that attracts diverse talent from across the globe okay so the way so Mark Parker the way to attract diverse talent from across the world is by breaking American law that's 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 your thought. Your thought is that if we if we become an anarchist state, then essentially we are going to attract diverse talent from across the globe. Oh, and by the way, he's not alone. Uh, the Columbia Sportswear CEO joined in the chorus by saying Oregon is enriched by our diversity, and immigrants living in Oregon are part of our families, communities, and workplaces. Yeah, they come here legally, pal. They come here legally. These arguments are ridiculous. They're spurious at best. Look, if you want to increase the diversity of the work, um, uh, the workforce in Oregon, then number one, build the wall. (laughs) Number two, enforce our our immigration laws. And thirdly, go ahead and and decide to um, work for immigration laws and immigration quotas that make sense that's how you do it you don't do it by openly expressing uh that people bypass american law and that's enough of that i'll just give you one more point before i leave the follow-up segment aren't you glad that andrew cuomo defeated cynthia nixon okay i never thought that i would ever say that i'm glad that andrew cuomo would do anything other than retire. But I got to tell you, Cynthia Nixon is a nut. Cynthia Nixon is a nut, and the stuff that she was advocating was grossly, for which she was advocating, was grossly inappropriate and irresponsible. And so uh, we'll see how New York goes, and we'll just have to deal probably with Andrew Cuomo as a governor. But uh, if uh, Cynthia Nixon had won, uh, it would have essentially put us out in the twilight zone and just at a totally different level of incapacity in the United, in United States government. You're listening to the Federalist Pages and make sure you email us at thefederalistpages at gmail.com with any opinions and with any interest you may have on sponsorship. And I will close with a brief observation. 
And this week's this uh, podcast observation is deals with um, deal deals with bipartisanship. So obviously, I'm inspired or motivated to talk about bipartisanship and healing the divide that uh, springs across our country's political spectrum by Obama's display at Champaign, Illinois. He made a call for bipartisanship. He made a call for reaching across the line. He made a call to those students about, about working with others to solve problems. But then he completely slammed Republicans and he completely slammed conservatives and he slammed anybody who disagreed with him. That's not bipartisanship. What we need in this country, we have a lot, we've talked about it a number of times. What we need in this, during this podcast, the things that are wrong are our media has become a sensationalist media, more interested in engaging in shouting matches than they are at uh, pursuit, at the pursuit of truth. And unfortunately, pursuit of truth can be kind of boring. It can be tough. It can be difficult. It can be grueling. But for a democracy, it is also quintessentially crucial that that such a pursuit be undertaken. So it's not as sexy as what you have when you have, you know, people like uh, Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson screaming at at their guests, or have two guests on the opposing side of the aisle screaming at each other. But that type of activity is destructive to our national politics. What you saw in the Senate last week with the disruptions by the senators, I'm not even talking about the, um, I'm not even talking about the activists, but by the senators, what you had, what you saw, the display that you saw last week by the senators uh, in how they were uh, disruptive to the proceedings was absolutely atrocious. And as long as we continue to go down that path, we will continue to be in increasing trouble. And I will say this, bipartisanship is and cooperation between the various sides of the political spectrum requires two things. Number one, the adherence to the foundational documents. So if you're going to come up with an idea on how to solve a problem, it better be within the spectrum of what's allowable by the Constitution of the United States. And number two, because again, if we if we go away from the Constitution of the United States, we're going to end up having other problems beyond um, the problems that you're seeing here in uh, bipartisanship, in the lack of bipartisanship and uh, the arguments that are taking place. And number two, we need to get back to civility. We need to get to, back to a time where we engage in, in fruitful conversation in pursuit of the truth and in pursuit of solutions. Only then will we continue our quest to being that great country that I'm sure we all strive to become. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez. You're listening to the Federalist Pages. God bless you all, and have a great day.